Let's pray. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of every one of our hearts, Lord, that you would find them acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, we find ourselves now in the conclusion of the series, Thriving Where You Are, and we have seen Joseph through a lot. He has been the dreamer, where he's had dreams of grandeur. I'm going to be somebody someday. He shared them with his, shared them with his brothers. Maybe not a good idea but he did. His father exacerbated the situation, gave him that robe. Um, Maybe not a great idea either, um, but did. Uh, Brothers got mad at him, hated him, um, wanted to kill him, then decided not to. Why kill him when you could sell him and make some money off of him? And he goes to Egypt as a slave. He goes into Potiphar's house, and then Potiphar said, oh, I like, I like this, this, this Joseph guy. He's a pretty good guy. And then Potiphar's wife is like, I like this Joseph guy. He's a pretty good guy in a different way. <laughs> Which didn't work out because Joseph was like, no, no. And then he goes to prison for that um, because, of, because of that. And you can read that on your own. Um, he goes, so he's in prison for a few years. He gets out of prison, becomes uh, the right-hand man of Pharaoh. His brothers come to him for grain. They don't recognize him. And they go back home. And Joseph sends the money back, the grain and everything, and they run out of food, but he keeps Simeon in prison. And, and so they come back a second time, which we talked about last week, and, and they come back with Benjamin this time, and then they have a, a banquet, this big, this big feast. And, and we talked about the grace and forgiveness that, that, that Joseph has experienced, but they still don't recognize him. And today we, we end with this family being restored, And Joseph revealing himself to his brothers. And as I said, this is not the end of Joseph's story. The the story actually continues all the way to the end of Genesis, uh, Genesis 50. Um, And Jacob eventually comes to Egypt, and they live, they settle in Goshen. Um, Joseph's two sons get blessed in the process, and uh, Jacob eventually passes away, and then he's taken back um, to his original home, and then they come back to Egypt, and then Joseph eventually dies um, in Egypt. But I want to step back and just get a little bit of perspective on the story as it relates to Genesis as a whole, because Joseph's story is a foundational biblical story. It It is one of the big stories um, and it, it ends where Moses' story begins. So Joseph's story ends at the end of Genesis, uh, or, or Joseph's story ends at the begin, end of Genesis, and Moses' story begins at the beginning of Exodus. So Joseph's story um, ends with people coming to Egypt, and Exodus begins with populating in Egypt, getting out of control, and then the Hebrew people becoming slaves under Pharaoh. Enter Moses. 
That's Exodus 1 in a nutshell. And so, if we look at Joseph, just his story, it's 13 chapters. That's 26% of Genesis is devoted to Joseph. And if we throw Jacob into the equation, Jacob, his dad, and, which is also a key part of it, because Jacob and Joseph, their stories connect in so many different ways. That's, tw- that's 25 chapters. That's half of the book of Genesis is devoted to these two people and their families. And just to give you some perspective, the authors of, of, of Genesis encapsulated the whole creation of the universe in like a chapter and a half. Okay, so we have Joseph and Jacob, 25 chapters, the whole universe and everything, chapter and a half. It takes up so much text to tell this story of this family. I just want you to understand, because it has so much priority in Genesis, it must be important for us. There has to be some importance to it. So why is Joseph a model for us? Why have we spent seven weeks talking about Joseph and thriving where you are? To understand that we have to take a step back. There's my visual illustration. Did you like it? I'll do it again. If you missed it, we've got to take a step back. Joseph's just a regular guy. There's nothing special about Joseph. And when you read the story and the account of Joseph, there's nothing amazing or spectacular about this guy. He didn't do any miracles. He didn't have any vision like, oh, angels coming to me and telling me I'm going to have a baby. Nothing like that. There's nothing spectacular about this man, Joseph. He didn't do anything great. Outside of maybe having good, some good management skills for Pharaoh at the end of his life, arguably his best work was probably um, the, his dream interpretation, but by his own admission, dream interpretation was not his work, it was God's work, and it wasn't something he did anyways. So, why, why is Joseph a model for us? What are we supposed to get out of this big story in Genesis? Well, here's the deal. Joseph demonstrates for us something very important. And that's through every situation, through everything that happened to him, every high and every low, he was able to thrive in every situation, no matter what happened. Prison, brothers that hated him, a father that overly loved him. I know that's not a common problem these days, but that was a problem for Joseph. Abandonment, estrangement. He was able to thrive in every situation. And how he did it was that he had one essential trait. There was one essential trait in his life that led to one paramount behavior. One trait and one behavior that allowed him to face any and every situation that happened to him. One thing that led to one behavior, and that trait was that he had a strong faith. And that strong faith led to a good attitude. And that's where we're going to go to today. Because a strong faith leads to a good attitude. A strong faith leads to a good attitude. Joseph's story, his, his story 
demonstrates to us today that, that when we have a deeply rooted faith, when our faith is founded on, on, on Christ and what Christ brings to us and what Christ means to us, that our attitude demonstrates it and our attitude is good. Because there's a difference. There's a difference between knowing something and believing something to be true. There's a difference between faith and knowledge, belief and understanding. You know, I believe things and I know things. Like, I believe that falling off this cliff will kill me, and so I'm not going to dance on the edge of this cliff. And I'm not going to let my kids dance on the edge of this cliff because I believe that if I fall off this cliff, it will kill me. My belief is going to change my behavior. I know that falling off a cliff will kill me. I know that, but I'm still going to sit on the edge and dangle my feet off the edge. There is a difference between knowing something and believing something to be true. One of my favorite quotes, movie quotes, because I'm a movie guy, um, about faith and belief is, is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Any Indiana Jones fans besides me? Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Near the end of the movie, um, Harrison Ford's character is, is in the cavern with his dad, his, who's Sean Connery, and, he, and Sean Connery gets shot, and he falls down on the ground. Oh, I'm shot, because that's how Sean Connery acts in every movie he's in. Talk about typecasting. Anyway, so Sean Connery is, oh, I'm bleeding. And, and Harrison Ford, in his typecasting roles, because he also acts the same way in every movie, is on the ground, and he grabs the guy's hat, and, and the, the antagonist goes, only the healing power of the grail can save your father. It's time to ask yourself, what do you believe? What do you believe? I think there comes a point in our lives where we have to decide what is it that you truly believe? Because our beliefs determine how we act. More than our knowledge does. More than our knowledge does. I remember in a church that I used to serve, um, I was in a meeting with, uh, a pastoral care meeting with a lady who was wrestling with an issue of faith. Um, she was on, on, on dialysis and she was wrestling with the idea of going off dialysis. She said the pain was too great and she didn't want to endure it anymore. And she didn't ask me, what do you know about dialysis, Tim? What do you know about going off dialysis and what it means to go off dialysis? She said, what do you believe God would say to me? about willingly refusing my treatments. She said, what do you believe about this? There's a difference between knowing something and believing something to be true. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. And Joseph demonstrates this, this strong faith of belief that at his core, he believes something. And that belief impacts his behaviors and his actions because belief impacts our actions. It impacts our minds in a way that knowledge doesn't. You see, knowledge just gives us information. It feeds us things into our brains that, yeah, yeah, I know that, I know that, I know that to be true, but, but our beliefs lead us 
to do new things, to do different things. And our attitude, you know, attitude is, is different as well. Attitude is defined as feelings or emotions around someone or something. So our attitude is that feeling or emotion that surrounds it. And so attitude then is that nonverbal or even that verbal icing on the cake. So it's not really the attitude. It's just the attitude is that outward expression, that embodiment of our faith. Our attitude demonstrates that depth of our faith. It's what people see. It's what people experience when people experience our faith and what we, what we say we believe and how we live it out, our attitude drives that and what their experience of it. You see, what you're willing to do, what you're willing to be, what you're willing, what you're willing to become, what you're willing to endure, that's a big one, is not dependent, on, is not dependent upon what you know about God. I know Jesus Christ was a person who existed once because um, it's been proven through history textbooks that there was a person who actually existed that was named Jesus who died once. It's not dependent upon what you know about God, but about what you believe and what you put your faith in. And that's where Joseph's story takes us because, because he was able to thrive where he was. Because attitudes come from the heart. Our attitude comes from our heart. You show me a bitter person, and I will show you someone with a bitter heart. Now, it may sound cruel, but that's the truth. You show me a bitter person, and I will show you someone with a bitter heart. That proverb I asked you to think about, Proverbs 17.22 says, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. A broken spirit sucks the strength out of us. And when we, when we focus on our preferences and our, our wants and desires, our selfishness, our internal desires, it directs our hearts and it shows outwardly in our attitudes because our attitudes, remember, are our emotions that surround a thing. But when faith comes first, when, when we are built on that solid foundation, that root of our faith, our attitudes then become a byproduct of our emotional response. They're not a, well, sorry, they're not a byproduct of an emotional response. Their attitudes become that response of our faith core, of our center, of our centeredness, centeredness in Christ. I want to I take you back to week three of the series for just a second because in week three, one of our main points that we focused on was the importance of our attitude and on that week, I said, or we talked about how our perspective shapes our attitude, and our attitude impacts everything. Do you remember that from, from week three, the third week of January? Our, our perspective shapes our attitude, and our attitudes impact everything. If not, you can go back and listen to it on the podcast. I won't go into it today, but it was a really good point. Good enough to bring it up again today. When our perspective rests on the worldly things around us, on the worldly things around us, we have a weak faith and a poor attitude. But when our perspective rests on Jesus Christ, our risen Lord and Savior, when that's our core, when our vision is centered on Christ, we have a solid faith and a good attitude. 
Paul said it this way in Ephesians 4, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception, and instead let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitude. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Is it necessary to have a good attitude? Is, is attitude really that important? Does it really matter? Yes. Yes, it does. Please hear me say, yes, it does. Absolutely. Unequivocally. Yes, it matters. Attitude reveals your heart. Your attitude reveals your heart. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us keep running with endurance the race that God has set before us. And we do this by keeping our eyes on Christ himself, our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside the throne of God. Now let's, let's look at this. There's two parts to this. This attitude revealing our hearts. It, our attitude reveals our hearts. The first thing is that people are more interested in how you live than what you profess to believe. We know this to be true. It's common sense. People care more about how you live your life than what you say you believe. It's simple. They want to see you act it out and live it out before they're going to ask you about it. Are you playing church? That's a term that was popular when I was in high school. Do you play church? Go through the motions. Are you one of the, the people who, who uh, Craig Rochelle would call it a Christian atheist, someone who says, I believe in Christ, but I live as though Christ doesn't exist in my life. Um, Judd Weidel at Central Church would say, are you for real, bro? It's a little bit out of my vernacular, but I tried. Thank you for laughing. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I actually had to practice that line because it's, it's not something I normally say, but he would say, are you for real, bro? Um, my generation say, would say, are you being authentic? That's how my generation would articulate it. And it's not that actions speak louder than words. That's something that I, I have been fed my whole life. Your actions speak louder than words. And I, I think that that's wrong. I don't think that's completely true. I think wrong is not the right word either. It's not completely true. I think your attitude speaks louder than your words and your actions. I think your attitude speaks louder than your words and your actions because your attitude is everything. It's more than what you say because your nonverbal communication communicates more than what you say. I love you. <laughs> Jesus loves you. Your attitude is everything. It's, it's not just how you say it, though, because we can fake it. A lot of people are good at faking it. It's where it comes from. 
because your attitude reveals your heart. And what's, what's the heart behind it? You see, Paul said, or he said in Hebrews, that um, the author of Hebrews said, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that is so easily ties us up. We are surrounded by witnesses of the faith, but we are also surrounded by witnesses that are not of the faith. And they are watching. There's an old country song I like about a kid. I've been watching you. Are you for real, bro? The second thing is that Jesus has already provided the example for us. Jesus already has done that. He goes on to say, we do this by keeping our eye on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Jesus has already provided the example for us to follow, already has shown us the way, and and all we have to simply do is, are we measuring up? Are are we measuring up to the example that we've been given? Are Are we speaking with love and grace? Are we having a deep heart talk or not. And to further illustrate it, Jesus says himself in Matthew 15, even though he's talking about food, he goes much deeper than food when he says, but the words you speak come from your heart. That's what defiles you. For from your heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, and sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Attitude comes from the heart. How is your heart? I said, show me a bitter person and I'll show you a bitter heart. If you have an attitude problem, you have a heart problem. But ultimately, Joseph's story teaches teaches us that thriving where we are begins with a strong faith. Hands down, Across the board, Joseph teaches us that if we want to thrive where we are in, every, in, a, in any and every situation, it begins with a strong faith. Like Joseph, Joseph had a strong faith and teaches us three primary things if we want to thrive where we are. The first thing is that if we have a strong faith, with a strong faith, we will be able to see God's plan where we are and our attitude will be right. We'll be able to see God's plan where we are And our attitude will be right. Until we can see, until we can see God's plan in our time, right now, and in our place, right here, we are of no use to God. Joseph had a strong faith and was able to see God's plan for him in every situation. I'm in prison right now. It sucks, but God has a plan for me here. I am in Potiphar's house. This is not a good time. His wife is getting frisky. I am going to do my best because God's got a plan for me. Until we can see God's plan for us in our place and in our time, we are of no use to God. A strong faith and God's plan right here, right now. Can you catch the vision Can you see what God has for you right now? God's work for us now, here. Not somewhere else, right now and right here. Joseph trusted that God had a plan. And God has a plan for us too. The question is, is can you see it? Because that's the first step. If we want to thrive where we are, 
It begins with a strong faith that leads us to see God's plan right where we are. The second thing is, is with a strong faith, we will be able to sense God's presence in our situation, and our attitude will be right. Notice our attitude is right with all of this. We will be able to sense God's presence in our situation, and our attitude will be right. Psalm 118 says, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. We'll have a faith that's strong enough to sense that God is with us no matter where we are. Remember that phrase, the Lord was with Joseph, and that explained everything? The Lord is with us. Yahweh, the personal form, Jesus Christ, the saving grace of Christ, the sustaining presence of the Holy Spirit is with us wherever we go. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The promise that was given um, in the Old Testament, or, or Jesus himself at, at, the, at the end of his, his ministry in Matthew, um, and, and I will be with you even to the end of the age. With a strong faith, we will be able to sense God's presence in our situation, and we will have a good attitude. God is with us just as God was with Joseph through everything. We live with God. This is the day the Lord has made. Do we choose to rejoice in that? Are we glad in it? And the third thing, with a strong faith, we will be able to accept both where we are and our situation as good, even if there has been evil in the process, and our attitude will be right. And this is a hard one because some of us have experienced great evil in our lives. In the situations we've endured, we will be able to accept both where we are and the situation as good. And this goes beyond Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. God can use all things for good. This is... I can use this situation for good. God can use this situation for good, even though there has been evil present. And our attitude will be right. And that takes us dwelling not on the past, but focusing on where we are now and where we're going forward. Joseph never let the evil of his past overshadow God's present plan and his future. Evil never shook his faith, and it never changed his attitude. He boldly said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? His brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of him. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, who you sold into slavery, but don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the lands for two years will last five more years and there will be neither plowing or harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many, many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of this entire palace and the governor of all of Egypt. If we can live faith-filled lives like Joseph did, 
if we can find that faith, that strong foundation of faith that he had, to see God around us in all things and in all places, to see his plan and let our faith drive our attitudes from that place, we can thrive where we are, no matter the circumstances, to bloom where we're planted, no matter what the future might hold, and our attitudes will display our faith for the world to see. Let's pray. Gracious God, we are so grateful for your servant, Joseph, who teaches us that no matter what this world throws at us, we can still trust in your abiding presence. You never leave our side, Lord, and your hand is always upon us. Help us to see you in every situation that we encounter. Thank you for loving us enough to send your Son, Jesus Christ, to save us. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.